0: presence of God. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wow. Right. 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 Brother Dean, I'm going to expand a little bit on embracing God. I'm going to say that we cannot embrace God if, unless we're also embracing each other. That we can't divorce the two from each other. That when I embrace God, I must embrace His children as well, Right? So, praise God. So, back in 1940, late 1940, early 1941, you all remember that, right? Yeah, I know you do. (laughs) We're friends. (laughs) We're part of the Three Davids, you know. The Bible has one, we have three in the seminary, so God is good, right? No, for 1940, late 1940, early 1941, Joseph Stalin was the dictator of Soviet Union, the premier, whatever his title was, and uh, he was getting messages. Uh, they were coming from many, many different places. Uh, he had spies in the German uh, government. He had uh, the the uh, intelligence agencies of the UK were communicating with him even the United States France from all over he was getting a message and the message was that sometime in the late spring of 1941 the the Germans the Nazis were going to invade the Soviet Union and some of these sources were very very credible very very uh, well vetted sources But Joseph Stalin refused to believe what he was hearing, because in his mind, he had had something in his mind, and what he was thinking, what he believed, was that the United States and 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 particularly the, the United Kingdom were trying to spark a war between the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. And so he said, they're telling me this so that I will do something to spark a war and then what they want will be accomplished, but of course it will be bad for me and my nation. And so he chose to disregard all of these messages that were coming weeks and months and months. Until finally on June 22nd, 1941, what happened? Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union and they were not very well prepared because Joseph Stalin didn't believe what he was hearing. Because he believed that his enemy was the UK and, the, and the, to a lesser degree the United States, but he, he believed in, in, in sincerely and thoroughly that his enemy was the UK and those were the ones that he had to defeat. Now the irony of course of the story, if you know the history, is that because the the Germans uh, invaded the Soviet Union, the UK and the United States and the Soviet Union became allies for the rest of World War II. And so the problem was that he didn't understand who the real enemy was until it was too late. Although the Allies did end up winning the war, but a a lot of people lost their lives in the process, and a lot of damage was done. So in Ephesians chapter 6, you, you know this verse, these this passage well, starting in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, of course, is writing. He says, Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's good counsel, right? Our battle is always in the power of God. If, if, if it depends on me, I've lost before I, 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 I make the first move. But it's not depending on me, it's in the might of God, in His power. Verse 11: Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against what? Say it out. The wiles, the King James says. Other versions say the schemes. The tricks, the, 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 the attempts by the devil to defeat us, Paul says we have to trust in the power of God, put on the armor of God, so that we can defeat the devil and his schemes and his wiles. And then he goes on. He said, verse 12, for our struggle, so, so he's identified the enemy, but now he tells us who the enemy is not. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul is telling us very clearly who the enemy is, and also very clearly who the enemy is not. The enemy is the devil and his minions and those who are in league with him. That is the enemy. And those are spiritual forces. It's not, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Now, the problem is the devil is scheming as we speak, right now, today, the devil is scheming to get us to fight against flesh and blood and not against the prince of darkness and his army if you will the devil is trying because he knows if he can get us fighting against flesh and blood we're fighting the wrong enemy and if you fight the wrong enemy you're probably not going to win the war right you have to know who the enemy is and fight the right one And so the devil is seeking for us to fight each other as human human beings in the world. And so what he's trying to do is to get groups of people to war against each other. Well, he's been doing this for a long time, but he's ramping it up. It's not just nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, He's not just on that level. He's trying to get people to war against each other at all levels of life. So it's not just nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It's gender against gender. It's ethnic group against ethnic group. It's culture against culture. Dare I say it's color against color. That the devil is trying to get us to war against flesh and blood, so that we are diverted from where the real battle is, which is against him and the spiritual warfare that that Paul is talking about here. Now, the roots of this go way back. Well, of course, it obviously goes back to the rebellion in heaven, but in more recent history, it goes back to a man you know the name well by the name of Charles Darwin. He published and made popular the idea of evolution versus creation by a creator God. And one of the the key principles in his theory and his ideas is the idea that progress happens when one group defeats another group. And on another level, when one individual defeats another individual. But 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 he's really focusing on how one species dominates controls and in many cases exterminates another species and that's how in his thinking life advances and grows and evolves to higher and higher levels and planes so darwin published his origin of species in the year 1859 just a few years after a very important date in Seventh-day Adventism in our history and theology. And so the idea is that if you're going to survive, if you're going to win the war, you've got to trounce somebody else. You've got to defeat someone else. You have to overcome someone else. You have to eliminate something, some other group in order for your group to advance. And so, uh, so uh, there, there, there becomes a hierarchy And so Darwin applied this to all living forms, and so he came up with this hierarchy, starting from little bacteria all the way up to human beings, although it wasn't all human beings. It was only certain human beings were at the top of this process that he is describing. And so in in this process... You come up through the the, mollusks and all of these different levels of organism and finally you come to monkeys and then you come to the the apes, the chimpanzees and the gorillas and so on. And then then you you go over into the human species. He, he, He believed in plural species and so you started with the Australian aborigines and then The term then was the Negro, or we would say the black races. And of course, finally, when you got the top, it was the Caucasian or the white races. So there's this spectrum on this evolutionary pathway that that Darwin describes. Now, he was puzzled because he saw that between a gorilla and an an Australian aborigine, he saw a gap there, because the idea is you you have a series of Organisms very close to each other over the spectrum, but he saw a gap there. And so he's trying to understand this gap and he's trying to explain this gap. And so I'm going to quote, this is actually from another book he wrote called The Descent of Man. And he makes a prediction about this gap. And I want you, I want you to catch what he's saying because it applies to what we're talking about. So I'm quoting now from Darwin. At some future time period, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. Now you have to know the vocabulary of the time and the vocabulary of Darwin. The savage races are those, in his thinking, lesser. The blacks, the the aborigines, uh, the, the American Indians and so on. Those are the savages and of course the Western and Caucasian are the civilized. So that's what he means when he says this. At the same time, so he sees the, these up here exterminating the, the others. At the same time, the anthropomorphous apes, the gorillas and chimpanzees and so on, will no doubt be exterminated. So they're also going to go. The break will be rendered wider. This break that he sees will be rendered wider. For it will intervene between man in a more civilized state than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of as present between the Negro or Australian and the gorilla. So he sees the gap is going to widen, and the reason it's going to widen is because those at the top of the evolutionary process are going to exterminate these lower ones and thus enable themselves to continue advance on and on. So Karl Marx came along and he took these ideas and applied them not to biology, he applied them to socioeconomics, that uh, socioeconomic classes that he said well what it is is the rich people against the poor people and they're fighting each other and, and socialism and communism is the idea that these poor people are eventually going to eliminate the upper ones, and then take over and advance themselves. If I had time, we could talk about the literally tens of millions of people that died during the implementation of those ideas. But then comes along Adolf Hitler, and Adolf Hitler says, well, I I want to take this idea and specifically focus in on race and and, and, and skin color and, and biological features. And so he describes uh, this whole idea of an Aryan race that's superior. I mean, it's, it's almost identical to what Darwin is saying when I quote it. And then you have the lesser ones, and he wrote a book called "Mein Kampf." And if you read that book, the way he talks about the Jews and the Slavs and the Romas and other groups, uh, one, one scholar said, he uses the language of the pest. What's a pest? A cockroach. If you have a mouse in your house, you know, you have mice in your house, you have cockroaches, you have termites, those are pests. Well, how do you deal with pests? You exter- we, we call the people who deal with them exterminators, right? You, exter- you kill them, you get rid of them. And so Hitler said, okay, well, let's do that. And so when he got into power, what did he do? He began to literally exterminate people that he saw as inferior, as in war, the enemy. In in this whole struggle, this evolutionary struggle, he saw them as the enemy, and and he said, we have to get rid of them. And and it's, it's, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the gas that they actually used in the gas chambers, Zyklon gas had been developed as a pesticide. (laughs) Believe it or not, he used a pesticide to kill the people that he saw as pests. Well, uh, we wish we could say these ideas have died and they're gone and we don't have them around anymore. Sadly, that's not true. These ideas, they take different shape, they take different form, they're called different things. But we still have these ideas today, and they're becoming very, very prominent, particularly in Western cultures, but other places as well. And it's the idea that you pit groups against each other. That you have oppressor and oppressed, and the only way that the oppressed are going to survive is, I kill you before you kill me, right? Right? It's the the gunfight in the Old West. Whoever can kill the other one first wins. And these ideas are prominent. They're prominent today. And the goal is to get people to fight each other. To identify people not as created in the image of God, Not as bought by the blood of the Lamb, but to see them really as pests. Now, that language isn't used. That terminology isn't used. But the ideas are there. Have you heard of cancel culture? (laughs) That's extermination, not on a physical level, but it's extermination, right? If I don't like you, if I don't agree with you, I get rid of you. It's as if you don't exist anymore. We wipe you and your memory and the idea of you from the planet. And this is rampant. This is rampant today. And so I want to take you to Galatians chapter 3. You know this text well, but we need to read it. Galatians 3, verse 26. You are all what? You are all sons, children of God, through faith in Christ. How many of us are children of God? All are children of God. For all of you were baptized into Christ, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek ethnicity, culture, slave or free, socioeconomics, male or female, gender, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, Paul is not saying that these distinctions distinctions don't exist anymore. Obviously, we have men and women. Obviously, we have all different ethnicities and cultures and And nationalities. We have rich and middle class and poor. Those things still exist. But Paul is making something, a very important point. This is not how we identify each other. Now the world is pushing us to do exactly that. To identify you primarily by how much money you have by how much power you have, by what color your skin is, by what language you speak. The, the world is pushing us very strongly. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't see each other that way, primarily. No, of course, we don't ignore it. But it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. Leslie Pollard, president of, uh, I think he's still president, he's at Oakwood University. He, he, a book uh, called *Embrace Embracing Diversity. <laughs> embracing. He says this, the challenge for Christians is to allow the gospel to establish primary identity. To allow the gospel to establish primary identity. So when I look at you, the first thing that comes to my mind, a sister in Christ, a brother in Christ, I don't deny, I don't ignore all the rest of it, but primarily the most important thing about you is you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ, you were created in the image of God, you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus died on the cross for you, you are so valuable, you are so worthwhile, we're told that Jesus would have come and He would have died for just you, for only you. Right? Have you read that? He would have come for one single solitary human being. He would have gone through it all. He would have suffered. He would have bled. He would have died. He would have gone to the tomb. He would have come out of the grave if only one human being was ever going to be, uh, repent and, and, and receive salvation. He'd have done it for just one. So what that means is that every one of us, the cross equals our value in the eyes of God. And I have to look at you the same way. No matter how rich or poor, no matter what language you speak, your culture, your ethnicity, your skin color, primarily what I see, ah, that is a child of God. That is a person in the image of God. That is a person so valuable, so valuable, that all of heaven was emptied if it was only that one person. And when we identify ourselves and each other in this way, then we work against what the devil is trying to do. We counteract what he's trying to do. And we're not no longer fighting against flesh and blood. Because you're not my enemy. And I'm not your enemy. The enemy is the devil, is the, spiritual, the powers of spiritual darkness. And that we have to embrace God. We embrace each other and we unite together and we fight that fight. Martin Luther King, you know, that famous speech uh, in August of 1963, there on the the mall there in Washington, D.C., what's the name of the speech? I have a dream, and here was his dream. Quote, he said, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin. He says, I look for the day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character." Martin Luther King said, Don't pigeonhole each other. Don't categorize each other based on skin color, based on culture, based on ethnicity, gender. Don't pigeonhole each other. Well, those people there, those people there. No. Because we are all more than that. Yes, we are, we are those things, but we're more than those things. And that is the primary, that is the most important thing. So we have to reject, and we are, we are an academic institution here, we have to reject any ideology, any theology, any theory that uses race or biology or nationality to determine value, character, or spiritual or moral conditions. These are false. They are the schemes of the devil. And any ideology or theology or theory that posits the canceling or removal or extermination of others, whether physically or in any other way, is anti-biblical, is ungodly, in it's fighting against flesh and blood. It is not spiritual warfare. As Christians, we must see People the way God sees them. We must see people the way that God sees them. When Jesus sat down at the table with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and those who were deemed in a low class, the Pharisees and the Sadducees we're fighting against flesh and blood. Ah, if he, knew, if he knew who these people were, he wouldn't sit there. He's a prophet. He knew he wouldn't, he wouldn't do this. They missed the whole thing. He was doing exactly what a God of love would do. He was doing exactly what God had sent him to do. He was saying everybody is valuable. Everybody is loved. Everybody is important in my kingdom. And I will treat them all with respect and love and honor no matter what their background, no matter what their current situation, no matter what they've done. I love you all equally. I love you all infinitely. I'm passionate about you. And I came to die for you. Every single one of you. If we can identify with that, and if we can identify each other in that vein, then we're on the road to victory. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood, we are fighting the good fight of faith against the devil and his minions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's, it, we, don't, we certainly don't deserve the way you value and love us and embrace us. We don't deserve, we didn't earn it, we didn't, we didn't pay for it. But out of your grace and your mercy, you came to this world and you made it a reality. You created us, you redeemed us, and someday, very soon, you're coming back to take us home. Oh God, give us that perspective Help our minds to see you and to see ourselves and to see each other in the true light. And help us to stop battling against each other, uh, battling against flesh and blood, and through the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through, 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 through worship, that we will fight the good fight of faith. We will fight against the devil because it's not in our power, it's not in our might, it's not in our strength. But it's in you that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. Praise His name. Amen.